we are continuing to look at Joseph <clears throat> and to see what we can learn from him and to see how his life unfolded and to see the lessons that he was taught, the lessons that he learned as he went through his life as he walked with God. So we're looking again in Genesis chapter 41, verse 41 to 57, and looking at this portion of the life of Joseph. But have you ever been in a situation where you have kind of been caught in the middle between uh, two, uh, two parties, two sides of a dispute? And sometimes when you get in that sort of situation that you're caught in the middle between uh, two people in two sides of a dispute, you can get, uh, feel like you, you get squished in the middle. You feel like sometimes you're actually being used where, you know, the one, one person will, will be saying something to you and you know that they want you to do something. They know that, 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 that they want you to respond in a certain way. They want you to, to support them in whatever is happening. And you feel like you're being used because you're being pulled in this direction and the other person is also pulling you in the other direction. And you start to feel like you're being used in this. And that, that, that nobody's really concerned about you. They're just concerned about themselves and they're using you in the middle. And you start, to, uh, you start to get a little uncomfortable in that position. And it might continue on and you eventually you actually start to feel like they're, uh, they're abusing you. And it's not, it's not just using, but they're actually abusing you now. And you get in, in, this, uh, in, in, in this sort of position. And this happens all the time in our world. It happens to us as individuals, but uh, you see it also happens in our world of politics where political parties seem to use, take an individual or take an issue and they try and use it for their own advantage. They, t- they take a, a person or an issue and they target that and try and, uh, and use that. Sometimes it could be uh, political nations, where nations go up against nations over a, a piece of land or even sometimes just some words that were carelessly spoken. And, and that becomes the thing in the middle that gets used to make a point, to get used to uh, accomplish something. And unfortunately, sometimes what happens to that one in the middle is uh, you end up... Uh, you end up being harmed. In Africa, we have a saying there, when two elephants fight, the grass gets trampled. And that's uh, an illustration of what happens when the elephants fight. It's the little guy, it's the grass that they're on that, that suffers. It's the grass that they're on that, that really gets used. And that's the way we can feel sometimes. God can use you. God can use you the difference with that, though, is we don't feel that anxiety about being used. We don't feel being taken advantage of. And we were just singing, we give ourselves to You, God. We surrender to You. We put ourselves in Your hands. And we know that when You use us, You're using it for good. We're not... We're not something caught in between a political, two sides of a political machine and we're getting crushed in the middle. But we are being used by God in a healthy 
and productive way. We don't feel like the motivation for the one using us is somehow defective or somehow uh, problematic or somehow uh, taking advantage of us. We're not used against our will, but we willingly submit to God and we say, God, use us. And that's what we see in the life of Joseph. And today, that's what I want us to be thinking about. As we think about Joseph, think about how God used him. And then we'll reflect a little bit on how God can use us as well. And so here in this passage in Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 to 57, we see how God is using Joseph. And He's using him in a specific way. So just to remind ourselves, remember we left off our, our story with, uh, of Joseph. We've been following through sort of his, some of his ups and downs in life over the past uh, few weeks as I've been preaching. Uh, we left off our story of Joseph. With Joseph getting out of prison, Joseph has been released from prison. God used him to interpret some dreams. And through those interpretations, God was using him. He, remember, he first interpreted the dream to the cup of the cupbearer and gave him good news. The, he then interpreted the dream of the baker. And both those men were in prison with Joseph. Uh, the baker received unfortunate uh, news of the interpretation of his dreams. And those dreams proved to be accurate. The interpretation of those dreams proved to be accurate. The things that Joseph uh, saw in those dreams came to pass. Unfortunately, Joseph was forgotten about. And he lingered in prison for a couple years. But then Pharaoh, the leader of Egypt, had a dream. And the cupbearer remembered Joseph and brought Joseph in to speak to Pharaoh and to help interpret the dream. And Joseph interpreted that one too. Remember that dream that Joseph interpreted and he warned Pharaoh of, of, the come, of years to come. And he said, in, we're going to have seven years of prosperity, seven years of abundance. And then that will be followed by seven years of famine. Remember, Joseph uh, then took a liberty and suggested a course of action that Pharaoh should take to address this, what, he, what Joseph had uh, seen in, in Pharaoh's dreams. It seemed like a good time. It seemed like a good plan. You're going to save up in the time of abundance to help you through the time of famine. A fairly reasonable, common sense sort of plan. Uh, Pharaoh liked the sound of that plan, and somehow he liked Joseph too. And he takes Joseph from uh, the prison to puts him in second in command of all of Egypt to implement the plan. That's a pretty impressive resume for the son of a Hebrew farmer who was sold into slavery and ends up in jail. And it almost seems too good to be true. It's, it, 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 it's one of those stories that you think it, 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 would hard, it would be hard to even imagine such a story, and yet here it is. So there we have, so then we, we come to Joseph. We come to Joseph in our passage in Genesis 41 this morning. And we meet a Pharaoh again with Joseph. And this is the implementation of Joseph's plan that we're looking at here today. So in Genesis chapter 41, verses 41 to 57, 
uh, the plan is put into place. Uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, I put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Jo- so Joseph is now uh, really the second in command. Joseph uh, is given the signs of authority of Pharaoh. He's given the robe. He's given the signet ring. And these are, these are the signs of authority. These are the signs that Joseph himself has come and he has come into power and he is coming. As Joseph speaks to people, as he comes to them, they know he is coming with the authority, the full authority of Pharaoh. He has an impressive power and authority here in Egypt. And so Joseph travels throughout Egypt. It says in, uh, in verse 45, Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Along the way, uh, Pharaoh gives Joseph uh, a wife. Uh, somehow interesting... Uh, uh, way to get a wife there, but uh, Pharaoh gives one to Joseph. And uh, it says that Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He went, uh, traveled throughout Egypt. The land was producing plentifully. Joseph was making sure that, uh, uh, that, that things were happening correctly, that the, the excess was being kept and uh, was being stored away for the years of famine. He was doing his work very effectively and efficiently and putting things, uh, storing up uh, what he needed for the next seven years or for the coming seven years of famine. It says Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. It's hard to imagine. But somehow he had stored up enough they didn't even bother to count it. it was so, there was so much grain. But Joseph stayed on point. He knew what was coming. And the temptation when you get so much might be to say, well, forget about the plan. We got lots. But Joseph seems to have kept on uh, doing what he needed to do. We see along the way, Joseph has two sons that come along during the time of abundance. And he has uh, two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And so Joseph begins his family. So Joseph's plan is working out really well. They've stored up a lot of grain and then the famine comes. Verse 53, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph said. Just as Joseph had had interpreted through Pharaoh's dreams. So this is all coming to pass. And so Joseph then implements the second part of his plan. He's now going to distribute the grain to those around him. And they begin to feel the famine. In verse 55, it says, when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Pharaoh told the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. Joseph's plan is working. There's provision for all of Egypt. And then it says, when the famine spread to the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt. Then it gets even worse. Look at this, verse 57. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. This famine is escalating. Now the plan is not just for Egypt. The plan is for all the neighboring countries, all the world as they knew it in that area has going through this famine. And Joseph is the one who has the plan to save all of these countries from this famine. So really... An amazing story. Pharaoh has chosen wisely. Pharaoh knew what to do. He knew 
what to, he, he knew to listen to Joseph. He listened to him and he did what Joseph said. Joseph himself must have been a very shrewd manager and businessman to make sure that things were happening. His plan was implemented in, in the proper way and now everyone is prospering or, or at least surviving through this famine because of it. So we have this amazing story of Joseph. The son, the sort of the least uh, favorite son of uh, at least least of his brothers. He wasn't popular with his brothers. Sold into slavery, put into jail, and now the whole world, as it uh, it was known, uh, is being rescued by Joseph and his plan. So what can we learn from this story? What can we learn from the events of, that Joseph brought into place and put into practice here. What can we learn for ourselves? I think I can be 100% confident in saying none of us here today in this room will ever face the same situation that Joseph did. It might somehow be possible that one of us may end up in prison in Egypt, but it's highly unlikely. In fact, I would say almost impossible that any of us will then be lifted up from the position of being in prison in Egypt to being the second in command over the nation of Egypt. Uh, so we probably won't be in this particular position. But what can we learn from this? What is it that, that we can relate to here? So I've got some suggestions here that uh, we can think about. The first is that God will put us in a place to use us in that place. God will put us in a place to use us in that place, to use us there where He has put us. So we see, what does God do here? God lifts up Joseph. He puts Joseph in the place where God needs Joseph to be. And so somehow, uh, God lifts up Joseph to get him where He wants him to be, where He needs him to be. The journey wasn't easy for Joseph to get where he needed to be. He was uh, in the middle. He was the focus, in fact, of a family conflict. He was hated by his brothers, shown favoritism by his father. And that ends up him being sold into slavery. God seems to rescue him out of slavery only to put him in a more difficult position with Potiphar's wife. And he gets, goes back down into prison. And then God lifts him up. So Joseph's ride, Joseph's path to this position was not an easy one. But there's interesting things happen along the way on this journey to be lifted up. And one of them is in verse 42. It says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. So that's a symbol of a passing of authority to Joseph. Then look at what he does. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and he put a gold chain around his neck. But isn't it interesting there, this robe thing comes back again. Joseph is now given a robe from Pharaoh. That should remind us, it should, uh, it should cast our mind back to the robe his father gave him, which was sort of the, one of the, the causes of all the problems that Joseph had. Joseph's father gave him a robe to symbolize something. To say, this son is my favorite. This son is my special son. And that caused Joseph all kinds of problems. 
But when Pharaoh gives Joseph a robe, that gives Joseph all kinds of authority and power that Joseph uses wisely. So it seems that that giving of authority, that giving of the robe for, for the Father to do it, somehow it caused problems. But for when God does it through Pharaoh, then it causes uh, Joseph to be a blessing to many. Pharaoh uh, gives him a robe. Kind of a replacement but for the robe of many colors that his father gave him. But somehow different at the same time. So when Jacob, Joseph's father, tried to lift up Joseph by giving him the robe, trying to exalt him and saying, you're my favorite, it led to a bit of a disaster. Pharaoh, working uh, to lift up Joseph, uh, turns out well. Joseph's family, the surrounding countries are all saved. Exalting a person, lifting them up when it's from your own motivation and your own heart is going to lead to problems. Whereas when it's God's purpose to lift someone up, then it works well. So God puts Joseph in the right place. He lifts him up and He does it for the, for the purposes. The right purposes. When we try and lift someone up and we do it for the wrong reasons and often it's for pride, then we run into problems. James and Peter remind us that God opposes the proud, but instead gives grace to the humble. And so when Joseph was lifted up by his father, there was pride happening there. When Pharaoh lifted it up, it was to accomplish God's will. So we, we, it seems to be clear that Pharaoh is somehow working to bring about God's plans. Even if he doesn't really acknowledge God himself, God is using him to accomplish what he wants. So God lifts up Joseph to put him in the place where God needs Joseph to be. But it's not always like that, to be lifted up to be used by God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fiery furnace. And that's uh, hardly being lifted up, but they're thrown into a difficult situation and they need to trust God and say, whatever happens, God, I'm in Your hands. And God uses that. And Daniel himself is thrown into the lion's den in order to for God to accomplish something. And through Daniel being thrown into the lion's den and trusting in God to protect him, it was so that a people of a foreign nation will fear and give reverence to God. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 34, we read about our friends Paul and Silas. They get thrown into a prison. They end up in jail. And they end up in, the, in jail singing songs, singing hymns and praising God. And as a result of that, the jailer and his family come to Christ. So we see sometimes God puts us in places that are difficult in order to use us. Here in this story of Joseph, God puts Joseph in a, in a, in a high place, in a position of power and authority in order to use him. But it doesn't always work that way. And it's, but it's, what is clear is that God, whatever situation God may put us in, He can use us. And He puts us in those situations in order to use us. 
And what's clear from the Bible is that God uh, uses the situation that we find ourselves in. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is talking about the thorn in his flesh, the thing that's troubling him, and we don't know exactly what that is. But Paul says, I've got this thing that's bothering me and I've asked God to remove it from me. And God has said, no, my power is made perfect in your weakness. In order that something is accomplished through Paul, God leaves that thorn in his flesh. So God declines to help him. Because God is using him in the position that he's in, in the situation that Paul is in. So we need to stop and say, where am I? What situation am I in? At home, at school, at work, whatever it might be. And stop and ask, how did I get here? It's a great question to ask, to start to think about how God has been working in your life to get you to that position. It's a great question to get you to stop and think, how did I get here? Has God, can you see God at work in your life? Can you see Him directing you to the place you're in? And maybe it's not a comfortable place, but somehow you see God directing you to that place. And then you have to say, why am I here? How did I get here? And then why am I here? Is it family or work or whatever reasons? What is God trying to teach me? How is God trying to use me in this place. So once you see that God has put you in that place, you need to say, why has God got me here? Why has God got me here? What am I supposed to do now that I'm here in this particular place? Doing whatever I'm doing. Whether I'm at work or home with my friends, with my family. God has put me here. God has surrounded me with these people. God has given me these opportunities to be used by Him. That's what God is doing when He lifts up Joseph. And we need to ask that for all of us. We might not be lifted up into that second in command of a country the way Joseph was, but God has put us each in a place for a reason, for a purpose. And we need to stop and think about what is that purpose. Again, in looking at Joseph, we know why God has put Joseph in that position, but we need to ask, why has God put me in the position that, that I'm in at the moment? The second thing we, can, uh, we need to see or we can see from this passage is that God's plan to use you can sometimes be very unusual. God's plan to use you can sometimes be very unusual. If we were planning these events in the life of Joseph, would we have ever come up with such an audacious plan? You know, if we were thinking about Joseph, we might be thinking, well, maybe we could, we could you know, sneak into prison. We could bribe a guard or two to leave the gates open at the wrong time. We could smuggle Joseph out and, and whisk him away if, as far away from Egypt as we can to rescue Joseph. That might be the best sort of plan we can come up with. Would we come up with a plan of, of, of thinking, well, what we should really do is we should take Joseph, we should get Joseph and somehow we should manipulate things, we should orchestrate events, so that Joseph becomes the second in command of Egypt. Joseph isn't even an Egyptian. Would we ever come up with such a plan? It's crazy. And here God is saying, this is my plan. 
This is the plan that, that I have. Only God could orchestrate such a, a wild plan. Only God could make everything come together, bring the family issues that Joseph faced, the caravan coming at just the right time to carry Joseph off to Egypt, meeting just the right people, having just the right things happen to him at the right time, meeting the cupbearer and the baker in prison, and then, and then later on being able to go to Pharaoh himself. God put all that together. Sometimes we struggle to get up out of bed in the morning, get dressed and get to church on time, let alone orchestrating all these events that had to happen for Joseph to be lifted up. God's plan to use us can sometimes be a very unusual plan. And this points to something profound about God. That He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and He can control all of these things. God does something that was inconceivable and incomprehensible and totally beyond what we could do ourselves. God was there. Kind of reminds me of Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and he says where he, Paul is writing, he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within us. God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or even imagine. So we imagine something God can do immeasurably more than that. That's what God can do. Think of things like Noah building a huge boat, expecting all the animals will come onto the boat with him and his family. Who would ever dream up such a plan? Imagine Gideon. Think of Gideon who takes 300 men. He gathers 32,000 men to go and attack the Midianites because they are some of the best warriors in the world at the time. And so he, he rallies the troops. And God says, no, 32,000 men, you've got way too many. And so he, God uses means to, to bring that down and to say, no, you only need 300 men. What a crazy plan. If you're going against the best army in the world, you say, well, I think I'll only take 300 men with me to fight. That's a crazy plan. But that's God's plan. We need to be open to the unusual and unexpected if we want God to use us. When God's plan for us may involve something unusual and unexpected. And I've seen this in my own life from time to time. And I think back to a few years ago when we were missionaries in Zambia. And along the way, our supervisors in the mission came and they reviewed the work that we were doing in Zambia and they said, they said, you know, you need to be doing something with all the Chinese that are here, all the business people that have come to Zambia. You need to do something with them. And that led Lydia and myself to, uh, to start a work among the uh, Chinese community in Lusaka, Zambia. We weren't church planters. We didn't have the language. And yet we said, God, you seem to be doing something unusual here and we're open to it. And God used that. And now there's a congregation of about 50 or 60 Mandarin-speaking uh, people worshiping God in Lusaka, Zambia uh, five or six years later. It's just amazing when you open yourselves up and you say, yes, God, I'm open to being used in a way that might be unusual. 
We also see in the life of Joseph here that God can use you to fulfill His promises. God made promises to Abraham. God made promises to him back in Genesis chapter 12. He, he, he gave promises of, God gave promises of several things. In Genesis chapter 12, he says, I will, he, he promises Abraham, uh, he says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God can use you to fulfill that promise that He made to Abraham. Look at verses 49. Back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 49 to 57, and 49 and 57. Verse 49, it says, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. That's brings a a ringing... uh, uh, It reminds us of that promise that God made to Abraham. That He will make your your descendants as numerous as the grains of sand on the sea. In verse 57, it says, and all the countries, Genesis 41, verse 57, all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. Would you say Joseph is being a blessing to the world? Absolutely. And that's part of the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. Joseph is a direct descendant of Abraham. And through, Ab- through Joseph now, God's promise to Abraham is being fulfilled. Each one of us can have a role to play in fulfilling God's promises to Abraham. None of us single-handedly will fulfill all the promises that God has made to Abraham. But we can all be a part of it. We can all play a small part of it. We can all be a part of the blessing to the world that uh, Abraham, uh, or that God has promised to Abraham through caring for the world, through caring for others, through uh, sharing with others the good news of Jesus Christ. One, con- one thing that we do, uh, the, we may think it's very small, but don't worry about it. You are part of being the blessing of uh, God onto the world that God has promised to Abraham. Just the way Joseph was. So God is using Joseph to fulfill the promise that He has given to Abraham. God can use each one of us to be uh, part of the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham makes us feel somehow connected, doesn't it? Going back that we are somehow connected. The Bible tells us we are Abraham's children. We're helping. uh, We're a part of the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham. We're connected over generations, over millenniums to a promise that God has made to Abraham. So God can use you to be a fulfillment of His promise. Even if it's just a small thing. It's all part of that fulfillment. My oldest son, he works for Loblaws, the big food uh, uh, thing, you know, the real Canadian superstore, President's Choice, that sort of thing. And he's just in an entry-level position. And he's, uh, he's in, uh, in the, the order-receiving department. But it was very interesting. He was talking to us about, about his position. 
And it's very interesting that even at that very, uh, at the entry level positions into the organization, they talk about you are important because you're handling these orders that will allow the food to travel from the farmers to those people who need to eat that food. We are supplying people with an essential of life, and you are part of that. And I thought, that's fascinating that an organization that size would, would give to each individual their importance in doing, what, uh, in, in, in doing what the company is there to do. And it's the same with us. We may look and say, well, I'm just some small person sitting in some little corner of some small city in the world, and I'm only here for a few years. How much impact can I make? It doesn't really matter as long as we're part of that blessing, of passing on that blessing. And then the last thing I think we can see here is God can use you when you remember Him. And we look at verses 51 and 52, the passage that was read for us. Joseph had two children. He had the first one, uh, Manasseh, and he named him that because he says, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. Then the second son, he names Ephraim, and he says, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. In all of this, God has not for, or Joseph has not forgotten about God, about Yahweh, about the God that his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather worshipped. You can imagine that in Joseph's position, he might be tempted to follow the gods of Egypt. He might be tempted to leave his faith behind and say, you know, I'm here in Egypt now. God hasn't really done much for me. God's, all God's done for me has seen me thrown into a well, sold into slavery, and then thrown into prison. I think maybe I'd be better following the gods of Egypt. But he doesn't do that. He wouldn't have, have had much of a support network around him. He was probably the only one who was worshipping Yahweh in Egypt. And yet, for years, he remembered God. If we look at the, the chronology, if we look back at the beginning of the story, he was about seven, he started when it was 17 and now he's in his early 30s. So for 15 years, he has kept God in mind. Through all of his ups and downs, he has kept God in mind. And he said, God has made me forget all my trouble. God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Even after all of this, he says, God is the one who has made me fruitful. He knew God was the one who was giving him the interpretation of dreams. And all of that, he never forgot about God. But as you read the Old Testament, you realize how quickly God's people forget about God. You read in the Old Testament how quickly the nation of Israel slipped into idolatry. Are we any different? We come to church. We go to our Sunday life groups. We get involved in home builders. And we forget about why we're doing all those things. We forget. We, they, they just become things we do and we forget what it is we're actually doing. We come here even to church on Sunday morning and we say, well, uh, why am I here? Yeah, we, we sing songs and I meet my friends. You forget. We easily forget why we're here. And we need to have that same the desire to keep God in the front of our lives that Joseph had for 15 years living in a foreign country that worshipped different gods, Joseph 
knew it was Yahweh that was with him. So we see these things about Joseph and how God was able to use him. And so we need to think about how God can use us. And there's two questions here. The two questions I began with. Where are you? What position do you find yourself in? At home, with family, friends, in school, whatever it might be. Do you see, can you look back and see God's hand leading you and guiding you to that point? Maybe God has worked in your way in some remarkable steps to bring you to the place you are uh, here today. Or maybe it was just, life has just sort of come along and you followed ordered regular steps and you're here and you look back on your life and you say, yeah, God's been there through all of it. Hasn't been dramatic, hasn't been particularly exciting, but God's been there. Maybe you're not exactly where you want to be. Sometimes that's what happens. You're not, you, you think you want to be somewhere that, and you're not there. Maybe you're not where you planned to be. Maybe you planned to be somewhere else and you planned that your life would be on a different trajectory, but here you are in the situation you're facing today. God is there. God has directed events. And you need to look and say, how has God brought me to this place? And then once you do that, you need to stop and say, what has God called you to do in that place? Why am I here? Why am I here in this place at this time right now? What has God called me to do? God can use you. No place is wasted. No life is fruitless. No place is a holding pattern where you're just there doing nothing and contributing nothing. No place is like that. You may be here temporarily and you you know that God has something else for you down the road, but... Right now, He has something for you to do. Search it out. Ask God, what do you want me to do? You've put me in this place. All of you are here today for some reason. You're sitting here in this building. You've come together. We've come together here this morning. So I believe we're in this place for a reason. And we need to say, why am I here? Why am I in this place? What does God want to do with me now that I'm here? Because nothing is wasted in God's economy. No place, no time, no life is wasted. No one is just sitting there waiting and has nothing to accomplish. We might not be saving the entire world the way Joseph was. It might just be working away faithfully in some small corner of the world that God has put us. But faithfulness is what God wants from us. Faithfulness and seeking out what God wants us to be doing and then doing it. Joseph was open to this. When Pharaoh suggested that Joseph go and and be second in command and put his plan into place, Joseph was willing. When God asks us to do something, are we willing? Are we saying, yes, God? Are we saying, I will do that? And are we remembering God in all of that? That this is what God has done. This is what God wants me to do. So as we think about Joseph, we need to think about ourselves and say, where am I? And what does God want me to do in this place? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for Joseph. We thank You for working in his life. 
We thank You for the amazing story of You being at work in Joseph's life. Lord, help us to be open to what You want us to do. Help us to look around us in the situation You've placed us today and ask, Lord, how can I serve You here? How can I serve You now? Lord, use me in this place and in this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.